The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. While he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hands and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, good morning, everybody. You all can be seated, and it's Youth Sunday, which is when we um, like to begin with the children's message. So if there are any children among us who would like to come forward, this would be your opportunity to do that. I'm not so scary. I'm not wearing all the stuff I usually wear. I know y'all are also used to Father Mark, so there may be some issue there. Do we need to talk about anything this morning? How's everybody? Yeah. So I have a really simple question. You ready? Who is the Holy Spirit? God. He is. Excellent answer. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus, but he's another person of the Trinity. Sometimes it gets a little bit complicated. Who else? Who, what do you think the Holy Spirit is? He's 100% Holy Spirit. He didn't become man, though. He's always been spirit. Yeah. Any other ideas about the Holy Spirit? Thank you. We now have a baptized dog. That's awesome. I'll thank you, y'all. Um, who else is the Holy Spirit? Do you, do you have any, like, what does the Holy Spirit do? Any idea what the Holy Spirit does? Sorry? Miracles, absolutely. Yeah. He's got some learning to do, don't he? Guess what? Sorry? life. Absolutely. That's a great answer. Yes. Yes. So these are great answers. And let me say this. We all have a lot of learning to do about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start talking about the Holy Spirit here and in, in the message that I'm about to give to the whole church and for the next several weeks. But let me leave you with a couple of, of 
ideas that you can maybe use to kind of hang your hats on. So the, the Holy Spirit is God. That's a great answer, right? We know that he's God. And we know that God is three persons in one substance. So, so let me give you a couple of images to think about that. And one comes from an ancient saint named St. Patrick, right? And, and do you know why the clover leaf is such a, a big deal on St. Patrick's Day? It, it actually has to do with God. Because he used the clover leaf to show how God is one and God is also three, right? One substance and three processions, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Father's not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit and the Spirit's not the Father or the Son, but they're all one God. Let me give you another uh, idea, and, and, and this is one you'll pick up in the science class as you go. So there's a chemical compound called H2O. Do we know what that is? So the chemical compound is water, right? But but when it freezes, it's ice. And when it gets really hot, it's, yeah, it's vapor, right? It's vapor. When it gets really hot, past water to, to vapor. So so God is like that, too. It's always H2O, but there, there are three ways that we see H2O, right? Solid, liquid, and, and gas. So that may help us understand a little bit about the Trinity, and, and I'm going to step up to the pulpit here and focus in on the Holy Spirit. Is that cool? Yes, sir. Yes. Amen. We've got a theologian in our midst. Well, thank you all. He got it right. God is one, which represents the stem, right? And God is three, which represents the three uh, leaves of the clover. Very, very good. So, so, truly, who, who is the Holy Spirit? <coughs> Christians rightly believe that the Holy Spirit is, is God. But beyond that, when we come to talking about the Holy Spirit, I think sometimes we really struggle for, for words to, to describe the Holy Spirit. Is, is he a person? Is he a ghost? In, in ancient language, he was referred to as the Holy Ghost. And, and what does the Holy Spirit do? What does he do? He doesn't have an earthly name like father or, or son. So for this reason, perhaps the Holy Spirit can be hard to relate to because we don't really have something physical or tangible to hold on to like we, other, like we do with the other two persons of, of the Trinity. But to some degree, my friends, that's, that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point because with God, we're supposed to look beyond the natural and, and into the supernatural realm. We're supposed to move beyond the things that we can apprehend by our, our five senses, and we're supposed to access the spiritual things, tap into the supernatural world, if you will. And the Holy Spirit is actually our, our starting point for doing just that. So, so I'd like to declare something to us right from the start, right from the beginning. I believe that this sermon series that we're doing for the next seven weeks and, and the Wednesday night Bible study that's going to accompany it is really of the utmost concern for us here at Christ the Redeemer, and, and let me lay out three reasons for that. I, I would urge you to order your calendar around these ideas, because there's first a lot of confusion about who God is and, and what God is doing in the world today, and, and this Bible study will help clarify some of those things. But another reason that I'm asking us to make this investment of time is, is that so that we can come together as a church body and, and take counsel together and consider the mission and ministry that God has in mind for us right here at Christ the Redeemer. I think we can all 
sense the excitement about the things that, that God is doing. I mean, three baptisms in the last two weeks, new members being added to the church. This congregation is growing, make no mistake about it. And it's a great opportunity for us to corporately consider what God has in mind for us. And that leads me to the third reason for this study. Because it's not just about what happens inside of these walls. It's about what Christians are called to do out into the world. And I think we all have a sense of the critical crossroads that we're at concerning Christianity and Christians in the world today. I think we know two things. I think, one, we see this ideological hatred that is attacking the Christian mind in the West that would try to equivocate <coughs> Christianity or even dismiss it intellectually. And I think in the East we see an intolerance and a hatred that is attacking the Christian body physically. We all see that around the world, the Christians who are being persecuted. And friends, let's make no mistake about this. This, this ideology and this physical attack, they, they, they are trying to destroy Christianity and Christians. That's, that's the objective of these false things in the world, if you will. But I want to be clear about what I'm saying and the message that I want to give right up front. I'm, I'm neither proposing some sort of form of isolationism for Christians or, on the other hand, some sort of scorched earth policy. Because as we said last week at Easter, I believe, and Christians all over the world believe, that, that love is what wins. Love is what actually wins the human heart. After all, we just celebrated the crucifixion and the resurrection, remembering how on Good Friday, as the manifestation of his love, Jesus died on the cross for us, and celebrating on Easter Sunday how he rose from the dead for us and for our salvation. So what I'm really declaring once again before this group of people is that every soul matters to God. Every soul matters to God. Every soul God ever has made, every soul God ever will make, whatever tongue, tribe, and nation, every single human life from cradle to grave matters to God. Therefore, my friends, it must be said once again, standing on the word of God, who is Christ Jesus, in concert with 2,000 years of Christianity and Christians, the saints and the martyrs, that Jesus alone is the answer to this world. Jesus is the answer, and that a relationship with Jesus Christ, it participates in the salvation of the world, that he alone is the resurrection and the life, and that God desires not the death of a sinner, but that he would turn from his wickedness and have life. And again, as I posed the question on Easter Sunday last week, now that we know these things, what will we do? What will we do? Well, the first right response, as I said last week, is what we did last week and what we're doing again this morning. We hear the good news of God in Christ Jesus, how he loves us, how he forgives us, how he calls us to new life, and then we repent and we're baptized. We turn around from evil and we join the Christian family and we commit our lives to his saving grace. So last week we baptized Emma Rogers right here on Easter Sunday and this week, we're baptizing Gavin Temple and Andy Smith. Andy, where are you? Somewhere in there. There you go. Good morning, Andy. Now, now, since Gavin is an infant, he and I haven't talked a whole lot about his <laughs> baptism this morning. But, but Andy and I actually had some great conversations. And my friend, I want you to know, Andy really, really gets what's happening this morning. And that is so cool. And I just want to communicate some of that with you. 
You see, she fully understands what St. Paul is telling us in Romans 6.4 when she is being buried with Christ in her baptism, right? That's what baptism is, is that we're being buried with Christ. And she's going to be raised up out of the waters, so to speak, into new life with him. That's the fundamental transaction that's happening in baptism. That as she takes her vows at baptism, she really will renounce the wiles of the devil. She really will begin to fight against her flesh. And she will, really will work to resist the temptations of this world and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my friends, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to enable her to do these things. You see, what Andy knew when she came to me and she started talking about baptism is that it was a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, that she would be making a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ this morning. But what she didn't know, and, and when we talked about this, you just saw the light go on in her eyes. What she didn't know is that baptism is also a sacrament. So that as she's being baptized, God is coming to live in her heart. Did you get that? That as she's being baptized, God is going to live in her heart. And that's what St. Paul talks about in Ephesians, that at baptism, the Holy Spirit seals us, and he marks us as Christ's own, a deposit of our future inheritance in the kingdom of God. There are not really words that can express the, the divine encounter that she's about to have, have in baptism. Not just an outward profession of the Christian faith, but, but an inward consecration of her heart, her spirit to God in the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you get a sense of what I'm trying to communicate? It's awesome when you think about it. That the God who created everything, that the God who hovered over the waters in creation, that the Spirit of God who created all things is not just now going to live up there, but He's going to dwell in here. And I can't possibly overstate how amazing that is. And that's what we're participating in this morning in baptism. But my friends, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of what it means to live in Christ and to be a Christian. You see, the first grace that we're given at baptism is to subdue the soul, if you will. It is to bring our wayward, sinful ways back into right relationship with God, back into alignment with Him, that we can live a more pleasing, more perfect life, to be fit for heaven, so to speak. That's what's going on after baptism. But there's so much more, because there's a second response to baptism, to this grace that we're being given unto salvation, and it's in the words that Jesus gives us at the Great Commission. You know them. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. How is it that he's with us? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers us to go and make disciples. So as Andy and all who are being baptized are, are experiencing God, and being given grace unto salvation, they're also being empowered to preach the gospel. And I want you to think about this with me this morning because the sermon is...
preparing for Pentecost. So in a sense, we're right where the disciples were in preparing for Pentecost. Did you notice where they were this morning in the reading? When Jesus came to them, they were in a room. And the doors were locked. And why were the doors locked? Because they were afraid of the Jews, the scripture says. Now why would they be afraid of the Jews? They, they had just seen Jesus raised from the dead. A miracle like no other miracles. And there they are hiding in the room with the doors locked. But then we see at Pentecost, as we read in the book of Acts this morning, they're out in the street proclaiming the gospel to the same Jews that they were afraid of. Standing before kings and governors, facing down death, and not being ashamed or afraid to speak the words of life, to speak the words of truth. And the question is, what changed? What changed? What made them men of courage when they were men of cowardice? What changed? What happened between Easter and that time that they were preaching the gospel? And I suggest to you, my friends, that it is the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit working in their life. So if, if Christ compelled them, it was the Holy Spirit who propelled them out into the world. So they were no longer afraid. They were no longer ashamed. And this is the life that Christians are called to. And so in our day and age, it turns out that it's no different than the apostles faced in the days of the resurrection, is it? That there are governments and nations and people who don't want to hear the message of Christianity. And the question to us is, what will we do? Will we live in fear and lock ourselves in a room and hope that no harm happens to us? Or will we rise up out of these pews in the power of the Holy Spirit, believing Jesus' words that he's with us always to the end of the age, and proclaim the good news of the gospel of salvation. You believe that or you wouldn't be here this morning. I believe that or I never would have put this collar around my neck and given my life to the ministry of the gospel. That's what we're doing. It's, it's so much more that we're beginning to tap into when we think about the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and in our minds. So I want to leave us with an invitation and then an image. And I'll issue the invitation first. Because really as I was preparing this message, you can see that I've walked away from my notes. And I was going through version, I don't know, 74, 75,000 of what I was supposed to say. And Marcus can testify to this. I'm lying in my bed on Saturday morning, pecking away at the computer, trying to figure it out. And God just said, stop. And he said, speak to their hearts. Because, my friends, this is not about information. This is about transformation. And I can give you all the lofty theological words that you'd ever want to hear. But unless we're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit unto salvation and empowered by the same to go out and live in Christian life, those lofty words, they mean nothing. So the invitation is to come back Wednesday night and to bring your Bibles. I, I beg you. Because God has given this church a ministry and a mission. And it's time that we get on about the business of figuring out what that is corporately. 
that, that we studied the Bible here together. And it's fine if you're in other Bible studies, but I'm asking you to make the sacrifice to come to this, your church Bible study. Because what I want us to do is study the scriptures and, and look at the early church and look at Pentecost and examine and explore and discuss and discern together what is this power that compelled them to run into the streets and give their lives for the sake of Jesus Christ. What caused them to do that? They weren't afraid. They weren't afraid. And neither should we be afraid. So that's the invitation. And here's the image. I would invite you, if, if you'd like, to, to perhaps close your eyes and imagine with me. You certainly don't have to. But, but somehow hold on to this image. And, and I want you to think of, as I said earlier, God... In creation. And we know from Genesis 1 that God in creation, the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, was hovering over. He was hovering over. Think about that. The Spirit of God hovering over creation. And then He started to speak. And creation came into being. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? The, the earth, the dirt, the oceans, the, the trees, the animals teeming with life. And, and, and how the Spirit of God gave creation everything it needed to do exactly what He was designing it to do. He didn't leave anything out. He didn't overlook anything. He equipped His creation with everything it needed to function the way it's supposed to function. And I want to suggest to you that that same God is in this room right now, hovering over each of us. And it compels me to say this to you. Do you know Jesus? Maybe you don't, and the Spirit of God is hovering over you in a remarkable way right now, and He's calling you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's speaking to you. Or, or maybe you've been away from the church for a while, and the Spirit of God is hovering over you right now, and He's saying, come back. you to participate in the Christian call. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Come back. And, and maybe church for you has always been about rules and, and somehow it's lacked a relationship. Is, is the Holy Spirit calling to you? Son, daughter of the Most High God, is He calling to you? Is he calling relationship to you? And I'll just leave you with this idea that that same God who hovered over the waters in creation and the same God who's hovering over this room right now actually wants to inhabit your heart. And that's what we're about to experience in baptism. That's what Gavin and Andy are about to experience. And maybe if you've been baptized and experiencing this baptism, you can call to mind the Holy Spirit living in you. The image and the invitation. Come and come again. Drink of the living waters. And have the abundant life that God has called you to. And rise up out of these pews and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world.